Hello, everybody. Welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is Valerie again, and I'm really grateful to be here today with a dear, wonderful woman, a friend of mine, Cindy, who is in one of my small groups, actually. And you have noticed probably at this point in time that we are uh, this next portion of this somewhat longer series that I've been doing for the last several weeks is on the impact of our eternal marriage theology here in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so for those of you who are just jumping in for the first time, the first several episodes was really what we did is I, I got another clinician here on the show who is also a Latter-day Saint. And we talked about some of the clinical or the um, psychological implications of the eternal marriage theology. And then we moved to a portion the middle portion of this series was my own personal reflections with my co-host and also my husband, Nathan, where we talked about how this has impacted our marriage very personally and how it has shaped us and how we are trying to, in some ways, uh, reconcile and reshape some of the doctrines that have been infused in us that actually, quite frankly, haven't been very helpful and healthy and actually in some ways even estranged us from each other and from our parents in heaven and our savior jesus christ now this last portion of this particular series that we're doing is the stories of several beautiful people that i'm privileged to know who are special populations and their stories represent an interesting dynamic that has played out in their lives because of the doctrine of eternal marriage here in the LDS church. Now, Cindy here today is going to be talking to us about her life story as a, a member of the church. And she has a couple of, there are a couple of reasons why I asked her to be on the show with me. One of them is because she has mentioned um, a number of times in our small groups about her own growth and development and she has um, part of her awakening, and she's going to go way deeper into this, but I'm just sort of like um, warming you up to how great this show is going to be, how she has spent um, most of her adult life married to a wonderful man of another faith, and that our doctrine has, in fact, impacted that, and not in great ways <laughs> that she's come to realize. So, Cindy, if you would, start us off by just giving us a little bit of a biography of your beautiful, complex story, and then we'll kind of work our way back and talk about the doctrine of, of eternal marriage. Okay, so it's all you, Cindy. Okay. All right, thanks. So I, I grew up in Utah. I'm now in the Midwest. I grew up in a uh, very strong LDS family, typical, active Mormon. I'm the oldest of six kids, and um, it was a, a busy, busy house. A little bit about me. I work in a hospital in a rural area near the Twin Cities, and uh, that gives me an opportunity, I think, to work with and help people of all sorts, I guess, all wonderful people with their own stories as well. I love Diet Pepsi and I love dark chocolate. And uh, <laughs> a little bit about that. Um, I am married to a man who grew up Catholic. I have a son from my first marriage. And then I have a son and a daughter with my marriage now. And I have two great daughters-in-law. I have two beautiful granddaughters and three grandsons and another one on the way. So wow. it's fun to, it's fun to be a grandma. Yeah. 
So let's do this. I want us to start, if I may, because Cindy and I, I know her story rather well. And therefore, I wanted to kind of, I'm going to direct you in a couple of directions because it feels like there are two kind of salient chapters of your life that I think apply to how the doctrine can impact us. The first one I'd love for you to talk about is early in life. And by the way, everybody, I vetted Cindy with this. She's already said it's okay for us to talk about this, even though I know this is some really tender territory they're going to be covering. You have a first marriage that uh, impacted you. And I'd love for you to maybe open us up by sort of talking about that first marriage and how the need to marry a Mormon boy in the temple impacted how that all played out. Would you would you kind of walk us through that for for the first part of our time together? So yeah, growing up in the church and just hearing those lessons over and over, that that is the only way to have true happiness in life was to marry a return missionary and get married in the temple and be a mom. And, and that was, that was it. I, I got to a point where I, I felt some pressure and uh, in getting married and a lot of my you know friends were already getting married and, and starting their families and starting to feel like, a, like, was this going to work for me? So I, I ended up dating a, a return missionary that was in my ward and looking back, you know, not, not sure about how I felt, but everybody in the ward loved him and my mom liked him. And, and um, you know, by all LDS means he, he, he should have been a good, a good uh, husband. So, so uh, that was how that marriage started out. And I, I knew he had uh, struggles in his family. I knew, he had trauma in his childhood. As I learned more, I think the patriarchy really affected him as far as he had to be the one to provide. He, you know, had to do all of that. And I think not only did it affect him, but it affected his treatment towards me, which was not ideal. I spent years trying to make it work because that's what good Mormon women did. You, you, you know, no matter what, I, I could make this work. I would sacrifice. I would, I would stick around and put through all of that because I could make it work. We were a family and, you know, I, I believed that I had the strength and the power within me to show him that um, he was worthy of love and that we could be a family. And um, I put up with that for seven years. So. And it was a, a pretty toxic situation. Is this true? Is that in my yes. Yeah. So I want to just spend a little bit of time here because what you've touched on, Cindy, already is just so much that I think needs to be talked about, that people need to be thinking about processing, making sense of, and noticing on our own behalfs, you know, because of our own theology and also because we are young women's teachers we're parents we are influencing those uh, young young adults who are also in this very vulnerable space of choosing a partner and what I'm what I'm picking up on is just a couple of things that I want to highlight with you is number one it felt in some ways like you felt some pressure to choose someone not because of something that came from your own instinctual, desires or a, a, an energy or a bond that you felt with this person, but because 
he fit a standard. There was a measuring stick of what you were supposed to like, who you were, who you should marry. And Correct. you uh, allowed, and again, this is very, very typical for really um, young adults and adolescents to kind of sometimes really not know themselves very well. And so they do look to the people that, uh, that, that care about them. They look to the systems um, that have created, created them. And so certainly, of course, it makes so much sense. And you did that. You said, okay, who, who does mom think I should marry? Like, who, who would be a good fit according to the church's standards? How, how do, how do right. you know, some, we like some, some sort of take a poll, as it were. And like you said, like the ward thought he was a great fit with me, mom, yeah. the church. Um, he fit all of these parameters, and yet he didn't really necessarily... Um, it wasn't like you were madly in love with this person or even thought it was a very good fit yourself. And, right. and I think that's something to think about because once again, when we impose so much, um, so many parameters around who we are supposed to marry according to the dictates of a system, we as individuals, uh, our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own discerning process takes a deep second and then we, you know, in certain cases, it may not be as big of a deal, but in cases like this one, it's a very big deal. It's a, it can be a devastatingly big deal. And then, so that's point number one. The second point I want to point out that you mentioned is that you are noticing with a lot of grace, I'm actually noticing Cindy, that he was crafted also in a system that the patriarchy impacted his abilities even to know how to love you well. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. he had, it sounds like from what I'm just hearing here with you right now, he, he sort of came wired with some pretty significant blind spots around how a healthy, loving marriage of two equals even could look because mm -hmm. he was in a system that taught him things about himself that hurt him and his ability to take good care of and love you well. How yes. does that feel? Am I validating your like legitimate sticky situation that you were both in at that time? Actually, it feels like a whole weight lifted off. <laughs> I haven't really, well, I've never shared that with anybody. And um, yeah, it, it was hard. The marriage was hard. Deciding to leave was hard. The divorce was hard, but I, I knew at that point, it took a long time to get there, but I knew I, I couldn't, I was not going to be happy and I did not want that for my son. Yes. And, uh, and that's maybe yeah. the, it was perhaps your, your small child that gave you the, the ability to finally advocate for, speak up for, and really listen to yourself rather than listening to everybody around you and their opinions about what Definitely. was right for you. Wow. Yeah, definitely that. And uh, moving away from Utah. Yeah, it was helpful for you. <laughs> Didn't have that added pressure. Oh, yeah, I was able to um, get away from uh, all of the orthodoxy and start to think for myself. Wow. Yeah. One last point I want to touch on as we move forward on your story is something else that you said that I think is worth pausing and talking about is once again, the reason why we're having these really authentic 
transparent, vulnerable conversations about the doctrine of eternal marriage is because sometimes what becomes embedded in us, we don't come to realize is not helpful until sometimes uh, we get put in situations that are legitimately harmful to us. And one another case of this happens to be like what I picked up on in my listening to you a few minutes ago is the years you spent trying to make something work because that was what a good Mormon woman does. And I'm wondering if maybe you could spend just a minute or two talking to us about had you not had that kind of programming that one doesn't leave, like with the knowledge that you have now all these years later, if this was your daughter and she was in this marriage with this man, how much sooner would you have had her leave just be just, just to like take care of her soul and her body? Would you have had her leave sooner? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would really stress the importance of uh, taking care of herself, being strong in who she is and uh, choosing someone who is going to be a partner with her and not over her. You know, we've talked about that. I remember when I was a teenager and I'm just uh, very bitter about this, but there was a book and I, I've tried to search for it online. I can't remember, but it was about dating and uh, or Mormon LDS book dating and um, preparing for a, uh, your eternal marriage. And it, was so damaging. Looking back at it now, it talked about how I'm just furious mm. <laughs> about how you never ever put down a man's ego because you know that's that's who he is, and you never, you know, if you're gonna go bowling with him, let him win. Um, it talked about how you you can put up with anything, and then at the same time turn around and be an angel to your husband, and how you should you know, look, always look nice and have meals ready for him. And it's, I'm, I, I'm just so angry that that book even existed, but that was what I, I mean, I drank that in, I was going to be that person. I was going to be that perfect Mormon wife and um, mother and very damaging to me. Was very damaging. And I don't blame you for the feelings that are kind of coming up right now, because those influences like that, although they weren't necessarily sort of official you know, statements of the right. church or anything like that. They were part of what it feels like in some ways was the culture. What was that 30, 40 years ago? And, yes. and so yeah. therefore as a, a growing later adolescent, early adult, these were, this was your curriculum for how to be a good Mormon wife. And so that's what you kind of took in and tried your hardest and did your best to conform to this standard uh, letting yourself sort of um, be subsumed in a formalized patriarchal system, not only in the church, but as I've mentioned before in my previous episodes, oftentimes uh, that that moves right on into the home and sometimes uh, not in very kind and, and, and generous and gen good ways. There are, I think, right. some some marriages are able to pull off a form of benevolent patriarchy. And yet at the same time, it's my belief that even that is... Uh, very subpar in what a real yeah. marriage of two equals can be. But what you're describing is actually uh, a far cry from even that is that patriarchy infiltrated your marriage, your family life. And um, he, he was 
I'm not so sure if this is too strong of a word, but it sounds like maybe he was abusive to you. Yeah. Yes. And so you, uh, with the wiring that you had, the way that you were patterned, uh, it took you a little while to uh, wake up to the fact that like, wait a minute, this isn't okay. Because maybe for a little while it was like, well, if I can just do this, that, and the other differently, then I will prove my worthiness of, of good treatment. But until then, it's sort of my Absolutely. problem to do more so that he will be kind to me or so that he won't hurt me. Is that in my... Yes, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Big sigh from me because yeah. I'm feeling with you how <laughs> this is tender territory and it's painful. And I think in, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's hard to talk about at least for me, because in some ways it really heightens and highlights how important it is that we don't let these kinds of belief systems become a part of our identity development that we don't allow our own selves, our own children, our sons and our daughters to feel like what you two went through is, is something that an institution actually was complicit in creating. I, I don't like that as a reality. And yet I'm afraid that in some ways it, it, it is a reality. It's very much a reality. Mm -hmm. And therefore, as we come to more light and knowledge, like you have come, it's so beautiful that you're willing to talk about it and to say, this happened to me. And therefore I want to talk about it so that no one else, you know, so that we can minimize the impact that it has on other people who might be vulnerable to this same kind of marriage that, that you went through. Anything else you want to add as we're walking through this, this portion of, of your early development, Cindy? Well, I, at that time, I, I thought I was doing the right thing. I, I thought, you know, putting myself in that position and, um, you know, we were a family. I, I thought I was doing the right thing. So it's helped me to uh, be a little more cautious with, uh, for example, a, a calling that I had uh, teaching young women and we were talking about marriage and, you know, what kind of a guy do you want to get married to? And they were all like a return missionary and this and that. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about, what about kindness? What about respect? Mm. You know, so that was years ago, but uh, it's opened my eyes to that. Many, many things you should look at in a, right. in a partner. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think what you're describing is that the wisdom that you derived from those early years has in part put you on a path to much more uh, eyes wide opened, like looking for yourself, discerning for yourself who you want to be in connection with. And because early on, it sounds like in some ways you took the counsel of everyone around you and did not take your own counsel, which is sort of how this mm -hmm. earlier marriage happened. But I'm also thinking it's like maybe we can move to the next phase, which is even though by your own admission, you really kind of let everybody determine your own destiny there at the beginning, you fairly early on in your adult life took that power right back. And finally had the power to um, step away from that marriage. And then you uh, did the most, you know, one of the things that in, in Mormondom is considered incredibly, you did something really, <laughs> really outrageous. And that is you fell in love with and married somebody of another faith. So let's talk about how you had yeah. the courage to do that <laughs> thing. 
Yeah, we we met and started dating. And our first date, I was uh, like, okay, yeah, sure. I don't have anything else going on tonight. I I guess I'll go out to dinner, you know, (laughs) but I had so much fun. And uh, I really, like, without my even being aware of it, I was just able to be myself. And he just, I don't know, he, he loved my, my son. It was like the little brother he never had. And he accepted me and all my messiness and just, just, he, he just loved me, you know? And though I, I felt like, you know, there was pressure there that, you know, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't LDS and, you know, and so I wouldn't be in the temple and we wouldn't be together forever, but I just felt, you know, right now I, I wanted to be with him with the chance that, you know, possibly he would eventually join the church and then we could all be still in the temple and everything would be fine. Um, and I did pray about it. I just remember getting a message um, that said, just, you know, Cindy, if, if this is what you decide, I will help you with the rest. And so, yeah, so I, I went ahead and we got married. Yeah, it's been almost 29 years now. <laughs> so that's been a, yeah. a, a raging success <laughs> in, in your own eyes because yeah. not because of the I tend to be someone that I don't measure a, a healthy, happy marriage by number of years married, because I think sometimes people stay married for way too long <laughs> and they're not happy. Yes, that's true. <laughs> but I do just in watching you share your story, especially on the heels of the earlier story, you perhaps, what occurs to me is it's likely that you truly came to really understand what it felt like to like really loved. Yes. Because you knew the alternative you had, you had been yes. a terrible marriage. And so when you met this, this new gentleman who now is your husband of almost 30 years, it felt significantly different, but I get the, yeah. I get the feeling that what you're describing too, is that almost from the gate, there was a little bit of a taboo around how can it be possible that this wonderful man is not LDS did right. that seem did that seem a little weird to your uh, Utah Mormon raised brain? <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so, you know, because he was the one, you know, when we first got married, my friend had a baby and her husband was out of town and he was over there shoveling her driveway and you know things like that and I yeah, you know, like he he just fits all of those qualities that I I was brought up believing that a, a servant of Christ was like, you know, and yet he wasn't part of our faith, you know, and I think we'll probably get to this, but for years and years, I, I, I feel like I didn't open my heart up all the way to him because I was kind of resentful that we had been together for so many years and he just wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't falling into the the path that I thought he would that, you know, you know, if the kids would um, make choices that were not in line with the gospel or something, and I'd be like, you know, if he would just, just take the discussions and get baptized, we could get married in the temple, then everything would be just fine. You know, I, I still had that, that false thought that everything would be fine, you know, if this and this and this would happen. And uh, yeah, I was kind of like, you know, I thought it was better than him. I thought I had, you know, little superiority because I had all the answers, which I really 
looking back, I have no answers. I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. So in some ways it's like, Just, again, this is so true of, I think all of us that we, we do learn through life and that life teaches us amazing lessons and your experiences were probably somewhat confusing to you, I'm guessing, because here you meet, you, okay, you did the right thing, right. In quotation marks, right. You did the right thing. Yeah, you married right. the right guy. That was a complete and utter disaster. You got yourself out of that yes. one. And then here you go marrying the wrong kind of guy <laughs> because he's not a right. Mormon. <laughs> right. he, he turns out being absolutely the right kind of guy. And so yeah. your brain is trying to reconcile two very different kinds of ways of believing, which is the only way for us to be truly a happy family and a happy marriage is if you conform to my belief system, because my belief system is the right system. I'm right. You're right. wrong. I'm enlightened. You're not right. I'm superior. Right. You're inferior. Right. <laughs> I'm being patient with you. Right. <laughs> and furthermore, you get the bonus that every time something goes wrong, you have a scapegoat. You can blame it on him because he's not mm -hmm. conforming <laughs> to your Mormon right. standard. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so and unfair looking back at it now it is unfair yeah. it is unfair and also isn't it beautiful that we can sit here together and talk about your beautiful growth journey and your own awakening so talk a little yeah. bit if you would i mean in, i'm interested in knowing how did your husband put up with you all those years being challenging in that way to be married to because of your mormon superiority um <laughs> He's very patient. He's very, very patient. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I asked him, I, I asked him that many times, you know, like, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, how did you put up with me? And he would just say, I, I, I love you, you know, I, I love you. And yeah. You know what I'm noticing, so. Cindy, is that, isn't it beautiful that in your own earlier space <clears throat> of your, your faith development journey, your preconceived notions about how you needed to, to change him or how he needed to change to yeah. conform with your flavor of the, the plan of how it was supposed to look. So here you are um, being a little bit closed-minded and rigid and having this set of ideas that he needed to conform to, and it impacted your marriage. And yet from your own position, you were kind of on the moral high ground. You needed to fix him. And right. yet I'm loving that all along. Isn't the beautiful paradox that guess who actually was showing the kindness, the tenderness, <laughs> the massive amount of patience and true Christ-like discipleship yeah. in the marriage. It was him. Right. It was him. Yeah. <laughs> That's so right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank um, goodness for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm loving how, yeah. what a beautiful thing that, after the uh, the devastation of your first marriage, that you found someone who loved you so deeply and saw all the beautiful parts that you truly, I'm sure, did emulate even through those earlier years when you were, you know, still sort of consumed in his need to change, that he loved you for all of that goodness and all of your potential all the way through. Yeah. What does that feel like for you? It, um, it makes me feel like I'm so appreciative and, um, just grateful that he's in my life. 
Yeah. Spend a little bit of time with us, if you would, talking about your own evolution in your own faith journey, because it sounds like what I'm hearing is you, you moved from, okay, let me just, I'm going to circle us way back to the very beginning. Cindy, young woman, no voice, really just, um, doing whatever she's told to do to be a good Mormon girl. Okay. That doesn't go well. That becomes, um, incredibly, an incredibly dangerous situation. Cindy grows up a little bit enough to recognize I did all the right things. I did everything that everybody thought I should do. I married the right person. It's not working. I can't keep hustling my way to my worthiness to earn something that you recognize this isn't going to happen. So something within you was emerging and growing and arising that gave you the courage to leave the marriage. And Mm -hmm. it sounds in some ways like love even drove that because it was love for your child. And so you did that. You became a little stronger. Your spirituality is, you know, is, is blooming just a little bit in those younger years. You fall in love with and marry uh, a a non-member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Once again, very radical move. Once again, scary, but you had a little bit of a contingency plan, which is I love him. I choose him, but I'm also going to um, do the best that I can to change him (laughs) so so he can come my way. Okay. Fast (laughs) forward many, many years. And now we sit here together and I don't see one bit of you wanting, needing, or desiring him to change, to conform to you anymore. Now talk about how did that happen? How did you move from needing him to somehow get baptized, get you all through the temple so you could become an attorney family, according to the, the formal doctrines of the LDS church. So you used to be that, and now you're somewhere else. Talk us through that, that evolution um okay so uh i think it started back when i remember listening to a podcast from um an lds woman and it was around mother's day and she said that you know what i'm i'm not a mother and that's okay i'm this and i'm this and i can do this and i that just opened my mind so much to so many more things and listening to podcasts and interviews with, um, for example, um, LGBTQ people. And, and there, I remember one specifically about how, how heartbroken he was because his partner, his husband had passed away and how, um, you know, just the, the story of their life and how they met. And, um, and I'm thinking, you know what, he's feeling things that, that I feel he is heartbroken like I would be. And I just really opened my mind to like, you don't have to be a certain way. You don't have to uh, check the boxes. You don't have to fit in this box that everybody is beautiful. And then even like through that and um, having my mind open to uh, more acceptance of others, I, I started accepting myself, I think, and like giving myself some grace. And once I had done that, then I, I open up my heart and offer grace to those around me and my, my kids. And, you know, even if they don't check all the boxes, they are amazing people. And I am so lucky to have them. And, and, you know, why in the world would I put any judgment on them to think that I'm better or they needed to be a certain way because they are amazing people. And then that just went to my husband too. And I, 
I wasn't blind anymore. I, I could see what a great man he is and how much he loves me and, and what, a, like, we are just such good friends and we just have so much fun and we're empty nesters now and we laugh a lot and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a 180 from where I was. It sounds like heaven. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, like if, if it's not, you know, sealed in the temple and it's not an eternal, I just don't see a father in heaven a mother in heaven who would divide a family. You know, I think that's one of the, the harshest fears that we have, I think is to be separated from those that we love. And why would a loving heavenly father do that to any of us? Oh, I was just going to say, no, our heavenly parents wouldn't, wouldn't separate us. They don't, they want us to be back with them. Why would they separate us? Exactly. And so your own life's experience is a testimony of what conformity to outside standards brings sometimes and also what nonconformity can bring, meaning that are there some couples who, who who go through who go through the standard steps in Mormondom and and that works out for them? Of course, there are some of those. And are there some that do all of that and it's a disaster? Yes, but also there are so many different paths to intimate relationship that helps human beings grow, evolve, and become more close to their heavenly parents and any marriage has that kind of capacity inside the faith, outside the faith, in any other faith, in no faith. And I would go so far as to say too, that as uh, I know I speak about this from time to time, I, it, it's even, we have also, you know, we've got small boxes around how that has to look in terms of gender. We've spent a lot of our church history talking about how that has to look in terms of race. And I'm hearing your story once again, just throwing the doors wide open and saying, my goodness, is God good? And are they so happy when we are able to find uh, life as a place where relationship brings us closer to our true selves and brings us closer to them? And that can look in so, that can look so unique and so special and so different mm -hmm. and not following a prescribed path but following a path that feels right for us is truly the way back to them. Being able to see myself as who I am, and I'm st it's still a work in progress. I still have a lot to figure out, but um, just offering myself grace and opening my heart to others that are different than me. I have never felt closer to my heavenly parents, my savior than I do now. Yes. Yeah. Well, After yeah. all those years, Will you share the story that you just shared with us um, recently about recently you talked about being at work and how the old version of you would have responded to one of the people. And would you just share that? Because I found that so incredibly touching. Yeah. Maybe we can end our time with yeah. that story. Okay, sure. So um, working in, in patient care, as I said, gives me opportunities to meet all kinds of people and there was a patient um, that I was able to assist with this little procedure that she had. And um, we had to put on all the 
we had to cover up the gear because she had um, open wounds because she was a meth addict. And, you know, my, my first thought was, well, you know, thank goodness I'm not a meth addict. And that's, that's just so unfortunate and everything and a little judgmental, which I'm not happy to say, but as I went in there and I was able to get to know her, this really touches my heart. And we just got to talking and, and I held her hand while she was going through this procedure. And she talked about her family and the loss from, of her husband and the loss of her son. And we talked about, you know, when kids were little and how powerful it is to um, bear children. And, and she just looked at me and she said, thank you so much for saying that. And I really felt like at that time I was, I was on the end of validating somebody's story and her feelings and how she felt. And, you know, I think, I think God will be there wherever he is needed. And I think God was there that day, not just, not just in our buildings, not just in our temples. I think God will be wherever he is needed. Thank you for sharing that. And I think you were God's instrument that day. You were God to that woman that day. You got to be an embodiment of love with your beautiful sister. Yeah. And what it reminds me of is something that I often think about is if we spend all of our time judging people, we don't have any time left to love them. Right. Right. I feel so honored, so honored to be there for her. And so your story is such a beautiful story of learning how to truly love outside of the parameters of a systemic dogma where the system may teach us this is what love has to look like. This is what marriage has to look like. These are the steps and stages to get back to heaven. And what I'm noticing from you is you get, you did, you know, been there, done that, tried that. And for you, it didn't work. And there, and then your beautiful life unfolded in such a way to teach you that love and marriage and heaven is completely different than what you thought and beautiful and it's an open space where people can grow and truly love one another and your sweet husband now has been such a beautiful example of openness of patience of love of of allowing you your own process Mm -hmm. so that you could finally come to give yourself fully to him as soon as your heart and mind uh, grew up and you became a little bit more spiritual. I love that. So exactly. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like since I've been uh, open-minded and accepting of all of God's children, my heart is bigger. And I feel like an embrace, you know, you embrace somebody that you love so much. I just feel like I have so much more to embrace so many more people to embrace now. Right. Because we aren't, we spend less time being um, judgmental because if we're the only, the true and the best, then that leaves a lot of people to judge. (laughs) And when we let go of that, we can just look upon our brothers and sisters as our equals, as our friends, as people that comfort us and to whom we give comfort and we love and are loved by, as we're all sort of just walking our way through this life and um, and back to our heavenly parents. And so when we have that kind of an attitude, it leaves so much space yeah. to just love other people 
because we don't need to fix them. We don't need to change them. We don't need to convert them. We just love them. And uh, yeah, that's yeah. a much, that's a much easier and uh, far more comfortable way of being in connection with all of God's beautiful children. So Cindy, yeah. thank you so much thank you, for sharing yeah. your beautiful, tender story with us. And I'm convinced, I'm certain that this is going to resonate with so many people out there who may share certain elements of your story. And even if it's not quite the same, I think many of us listening to this podcast are probably noticing through this series that we have in some ways been impacted by the doctrine of the eternal family and marriage and temple and certain things that we're looking at and hopefully reevaluating and broadening, not because God has ever been wrong. <laughs> That's not the case at all but because maybe right. our understanding of God has been too small, has been not generous enough. And that's, I hope what this podcast is helping us do is to create um, space to allow them, God, our father, God, our mother, our savior, Jesus Christ, to be as enormous and boundlessly loving as they truly are, to take them out of the box. Yeah. So if this podcast has impacted you, I would invite you all to please share it with those who are in your circles who, who may want and need uh, somebody, someone to walk by their side as they're going through their faith expansion so that they don't feel like they're apostatizing, so they don't feel like they're evil, so they don't feel like they're alone. Um, this podcast is for you. If you've uh, got a moment and are willing to write a positive rating and review, that would be amazing. And also, if you're interested in joining me and Cindy in a small group where we meet several times a month, and it's just a beautiful place of love and support and mm -hmm. lots of growth and sharing of our faith expansion experiences, jump into one of my groups. You can find us at latterdaystruggles.com or at info at valeriehammaker.com to email me for more information. You can also find me on Instagram at Latterday Struggles Podcast. And also, I am just about finished with uh, a course that you can buy online on my latterdaystruggles.com podcast that is a couple's guide to faith expansion. And so if this is something that interests you, check out check it out on the website. And it, it may not quite be there yet, but it might be there because I'm very close to being finished. So if you want online courses, if you want group work, if you want individual consulting or coaching, you can also catch me at info at valeriehammaker.com. So I am here for you to help you in your faith expansion journey. And I assure you that not only um, I feel like you're helping me too. each relationship that I'm gaining through this process is so sacred to me. And it is such a beautiful thing that, that I get to be doing with you. So thank you for being here with me. Bye-bye. Dialogue Podcast Network.